Back up, please. Hello, ma'am. Welcome to the Point Blank series of Indicast. I'm Abhishek, and today we have with us Professor Kanu H. Doshi, who's back from. Uh, uh, if you remember, guys, uh, we had done a podcast on the union budget. and uh, he's back with us today to talk about the sometimes profound and mostly incomprehensible topic of taxation in india uh, professor kanudoshi it's an honor to have you back again abhishek it's a pleasure to be once again with you thank you sir so about the taxation actually there is a very very famous saying by mark twain that the only difference between a taxman and a taxidermist now taxidermist is a man who pulls the skins of the animals and mounts them on the walls as show pieces right. so he says that the only difference between a, a taxman and a taxidermist is that the taxidermist at least leaves the skin behind <laughs> why is it that generally yeah. tax to the common man is scary i'll tell you this is particularly pronounced in india compared to say western countries where the system of taxation arose Uh, having said that imposing tax on citizens is not a peculiarity only coming from the west we in india many years ago have a classic by the title called arthashastra chanakya's arthashastra in which he propounds wonderful theories how a good king should impose tax on his citizens so that the kingdom prospers but but observed more in violation mm-hmm. than in, in its observance yes yeah and so that's why it is not so famous with uh, the salaried employees <laughs> yeah one other problem abhishek about tax is that no matter what is the quantum of tax whether it is 10% or 90% mm-hmm. human nature is such that if i have earned 100 rupees I do not wish to part with even ten rupees to anybody, including the state. Right. Now, a good state, therefore, going back to Chanakya, about whom we made the reference, he says you must convince your citizens about what use you are making of the tax collected from the citizens. Transparency. Transparency and indicate where are you spending. the most vital and important expenditure for any kingdom mm-hmm. any state any country is on defense right right so that's the most important message which should go mm-hmm. that your soldiers your jawans are fighting on the battlefield by virtue of the salaries paid to them from the monies collected from you right so that message needs to go down right. now unfortunately it doesn't go down mm-hmm. and what we see is what happens to our money our money is paid towards the fat perquisites <laughs> to the politicians and the bureaucrats right. and that is the reason why there is a resentment mm. uh, in fact let me tell you abhishek the best example for an ideal tax system is to be found in arthashastra in which chanakya the ultimate finance minister <laughs> says that one must collect taxes in a manner like a bee collecting nectar from the flowers slowly but 
painlessly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in our previous podcast, we had a few comments saying that you have the knack of dismembering jargons in simple language. Now, I'll ask you about the direct tags and the indirect tags that we've read in our school books, but we still want to listen from you. What they are and what is the implication on India? Okay. Now, as I said earlier, Abhishek, that any country, any civilized uh, civilization, yes. uh, with a view to providing the basic amenities to its citizens, needs to raise revenue. These revenues come in two forms, generally, tax in the nature of direct tax and the tax in the nature of indirect tax. Now, you ask, what is the subtle distinction, if any, between the two? Because you will say, Mr. Doshi, I end up paying both. <laughs> yes. The distinction is here. That if Abhishek earns 10 lakhs of rupees as income, what he pays is income tax. And that is always a percentage of his income. When Abhishek buys a wristwatch or a ball pen yes. or a wonderful shirt that he is wearing today, <laughs> then there is an element of tax on the shirt and the watch and the ball pen which is called indirect tax. Now you will notice that while that the direct tax is on Abhishek's inflow of income, the indirect tax is on the outflow of whatever expenditure you make. In other words, one is on inflow, therefore hurts less mm -hmm. that I earn 100 rupees and I pay 30 rupees. But 70 I still keep. Right. Unlike that, in an indirect tax, independent of what is your level of income, your status in life, moment you buy a ball pen, you have to pay a percentage of that indirect tax, say 2 rupees. Right. Now, these two rupees is payable by Abhishek, by Kanudoshi, as well as your maid servant who wants to buy a ball pen for her 10-year-old kid. So, no one can evade this? One part is, yes, nobody can evade. But the second part is unjustness of this. That even a maid servant with perhaps very little income, mm -hmm. because she has to buy a ball pen for her kid, must pay 2 rupees and Abhishek with his income of 10 lakhs pays that. Kumar Mangalambirla with his income of 10 crores also pays the same quantity of <coughs> indirect tax. Right. So look at the iniquitous part of an indirect tax. That it is harshest on the poor <laughs> because it is neutral to the person paying, <laughs> it is linked to the product. Right. So then, so in countries like Dubai, right. where they have gradually moved away from direct taxation, okay. and they are, like you said, on your shirt, on your ball pen, on mobile phones, they collect taxes by giving a percentage to the price of the product. Correct. So how is it that in those countries, it's very popular? All the five countries forming part of UAE, right. United Arab Emirates. Emirates, they have chosen in their wisdom not to impose any tax which is called direct tax on the income earned by the people. Right. So in other words, you get 10 lakhs of rupees income and you pay no income tax. Right. However, there is some tax on salaries but earned by expatriates. Like suppose you and I were to be earning, we may have to pay some local tax. 
Coming back to your point about moving away from direct tax to indirect tax, say VAT. Mm-hmm. VAT is value-added tax. Now, value-added tax has the biggest advantage of its simplicity. For example, your fancy mobile. Now, fancy mobile has several components, most prominent being the battery in it. Now, Nokia does not manufacture batteries. Some other company manufactures. But the price that you pay, there is already a cost of battery included in the price. Therefore, when Nokia sells you a cell of say 10,000 rupees, embedded in it is cost of battery of say 1,000. So on that 1,000, there is already value added tax paid by the manufacturer who when they sold it to anybody including Nokia, a tax was collected. Now that battery is forming part of this cell costing 10,000 to you. If the government were to impose VAT or say tax, sales tax on 10,000 rupees, you will appreciate that there is double tax on the cost of that battery. Yes. First on 1,000 it was already levied. Now again on 10,000 which includes 1,000 of the battery, Mm -hmm. again there is tax. So they say we will give credit to Nokia for the tax Nokia has paid on the components which have gone into this instrument. So the credit for this battery would be allowed to it and we will not pay tax doubly. (laughs) In other words, that is called value added tax. We pay tax only on the addition of the value. So 1000 rupees is not value addition, mm-hmm. 9000 is. Yes. So we pay sales tax only on 9000. Right. Therefore it is called value added tax. Now you will also say that this is a case Mr. Doshi of a goods. Mm-hmm. What is the position with regard to services? Services right. of say professional nature like I am a chartered accountant yes so I advise my clients my clients pay me fees Hmm. same is the doctor same is the lawyer now the governments increasingly have come to the belief that as a society or a country develops the quantity of services in the overall scheme of things increases compared to the quantity of goods manufactured. For example, to give an example, in USA, out of the total value of its economy, 70% of US economy is based on the services generated by USA. And only 30% is manufacturing. The reason is they outsource all the manufacturing operations to different countries. Textiles are all manufactured by China Hmm. and so on. So point I'm trying to say is there is also a tax on services and that is therefore government in India are calling it goods and services tax. So which is again an indirect tax. Right. So if I render service by way of a chartered accountant to my client, Mm -hmm. my client pays service tax because they are availed of my services. Yes. Nokia, when they sell a cellular phone, they have sold goods mm-hmm. manufactured, so that is called sales tax. Right. So combination of both under one act will be Goods and Services Act. Oh, that will be 
wonderful because you will do away with many different taxes like excise duty well, and sales tax and service tax and Very it will be bundled into one comprehensive service tax. Wonderful. Ah, okay. Correct. Correct. So do you see any backlash? Uh, yes, you are, you are very right that there is already a backlash on this. I'll tell you why. Hmm. Indian economy, particularly the manufacturing class at the lower level of traders hmm. is running on unaccounted money. <laughs> okay? Right. So I sell a ball pen to you and you say, Mr. Doshi, I don't want to pay sales tax on this. Hmm. So you are telling me, Mr. Doshi, that the sales tax on this ball pen is 10%. So the cost of the ball pen is, say, 1,000. 10% of that is 100. I'll have to pay 1,100. Mr. Doshi, here is cash 1,000. Forget the sales tax. Yes. I'm also happy that, all right, I will also not have to bother about it, all that. Now, when you have goods and services tax, and when you have only value addition tax, then it is in my interest to sell to you only by check hmm. or in official and compel you to pay that additional 100 rupees by way of tax because that 100 rupees that you will pay me, I will collect it and adjust it against my other purchases and sales. Yes. In other words, I get the offset. Hmm. Now backlash is that customers will not like this to be paid. And therefore, there is huge you and cry. But I'm glad to tell you, Abhishek, that most of the states have imposed at least wet hmm. and slowly preparing ground for goods and services tax. Oh, so you see that happening very soon? Very soon, by 2010, yeah. And all of this is beneficial, according to you, to the salaried employee? or to the common man who buys these household items. Now, I remember you saying in the previous podcast that uh, the people who are conducting business normally get away by not paying taxes because they can start attaching many expenses in their profit and loss account and by showing that, Dekho, there are so many expenses, my profit is only this much. Whereas for a salaried employee, you only have a few exemptions like conveyance allowance and medical allowances, which comes to a few thousand rupees. Yes. So, do you think there is some discrimination between the salaried class and the, the ones who do business? You have made a very interesting point. I'll concede that. This springs largely from the ingenuous mind of an Indian taxpayer. <laughs> they say in India, the taxpayer is so smart and so clever that he's always one up on tax gatherer. Hmm. And though the art of the, the services science of tax planning, which is how to so arrange your affairs to save minimum tax, mm. originated in England. So as a science. But we in India perfected it to a beautiful art. Now to come back to the point you made about salaried people versus the business class, and is there a discrimination against the salary class? I will concede that yes, there is one. Mm -hmm. And you also very rightly mentioned that salaried class have very little elbow room mm -hmm. to, to manage their activities. Whatever they earn is deducted in form of a tax mm -hmm. at source, leaving no room for them to be innovative, to be, innovative, to be creative. While compared to his 
counterpart in uh, who has a business income he as you again rightly said comes up with countless items of expenditure in which he says look i have to incur expenditure by way of motor car petrol driver telephone expenses in my house and what have you the extreme case is of a consultant operating only from his house saying to his income tax officer that sir i need a place to operate and the drawing room in my flat is my office <laughs> the telephone that i have in my house is used to generate income mm. and my wife whenever i am out of the house on office work mm. takes the messages and receives the visitors answers their queries etc and therefore is my employee <laughs> so he pays salary to her and says all this sir are tax deductible huh. against what against the income i am generating as a consultant right so you can imagine no such facility is available to a salaried guy hmm. while here the scope is so wide and then there is a tremendous tendency these days for multinationals hmm. being approached by their senior executives that we do not wish to be your salaried executives hmm. can you treat us as consultants right. because the amount that you will pay us will be eligible for deduction against my all these expenses oh, that's interesting because that explains why uh, business world carried an article which had these revealing statistics that only 350000 indians in india uh, have shown their incomes which are more than 10 lakhs when there are a good 350 crore patis in haryana itself and icici manages some 100000 individual accounts who earn more than a million rupees yes yes we've spoken about the direct tax and i know that you are an expert in direct tax itself but then i read in the papers every day that there is wealth tax there is gift tax there is estate tax if i like if you can throw some light on that because these are sanskrit greek latin for most of us okay abhishek what you have read is true in as much as now that you have raised this point let me address it very briefly that all this is based on what we in india way back in 1956 adopted what we is known as integrated system of taxation Hmm. yeah now integrated system of taxation as the name suggests is a system in which you have a taxpayer who pays income tax on the income that he earns having earned that income if he chooses to save that income that saved income becomes wealth okay okay and therefore there should be a tax on wealth tax oh that is so unreasonable <laughs> we'll come to the unreasonable part if you as appreciate the taxpayer hmm. were to have say 10 lakhs of income he pays 5 lakhs of tax he is left with 5 if that 5 is saved i said earlier is wealth tax hmm. subject to wealth tax assuming abhishek chooses to blow up the entire 5 lakhs at a race course <laughs> then he was liable to pay expenditure tax Uh-huh. because you have expended that 5 lakhs of rupees so please pay <laughs> expenditure tax i can't get away no if you choose instead of blowing that away on a race course gifting that away right. to say your girlfriend 
there was gift tax. Gift girlfriend tax. <laughs> so, and if after paying all these taxes, you are still left with some money, and if you were to die, long live your Pesha, Sheikh, there was estate duty payable by the estate of Abhishek hmm. on the money wealth left behind by Abhishek. Uh -huh. So look at the situation. <laughs> if you earn income, there was income tax. Or there is still even income tax. If you saved that income, there is wealth tax. If you choose to spend it away, there Expen was expenditure tax. If you choose to gift it away, that was gift tax. And if after paying, if something is left and you die, there was a statute. Okay. okay. So there was the person who is R.K. Lakshman's cartoon, mm -hmm. beautifully depicted the whole thing by showing his famous common man, you know. Yes. And he is engulfed by an octopus. <laughs> octopus. And each tentacle of the octopus is shown as income tax, wealth tax, gift tax, expenditure tax. And the tentacle on his neck, which finally strangulates the guy, and he dies, is appropriately named as state <laughs> So this is how it was there, courtesy one Dr. Kaldor, Nicholas Kaldor. Hmm. You will wonder who was this guy. This guy was a economist, very eminent economist in England. And he was invited by Pandit Nehru. And all of us know Pandit Nehru had tremendous fascination for anything which was English. Mrs. Lord Mountbatten being one of them. <laughs> yes. So he invited this very eminent English economist to tell how should he reform India's tax system hmm. way back in 1956. And that all these taxes were at the instance of Professor Kaldor. And that's why India was known as a country which, along with few others, had adopted integrated system of taxation apart from the progressive system of taxation. Which is? Which is, as your income increases, the quantum of tax, the proportion of tax, more than proportionately increases. And that is why it is called progressive. There is nothing progressive about it. <laughs> it's, a it's a statistical expression. Right. Uh, digression and depression and progression. Mm. So it is linked to that. Now, now the good news is, Abhishek, wealth tax is still retained but has been reduced to only five items. Mm. For example, on jewelry, right. on uh, real estate, mm. vacant plot of land. So on productive assets, wealth tax is abolished from 1992. And I think the rationale would be that jewelry, real estate, sprawling land, etc. will be purchased by those who are well off. Yes. So that's why even if we have to charge that percentage, yeah. let it be only for the upper sections of the society oh. and not for the maid servant that we spoke about. Very true. Apart from this, it is also linked to the productive part and the unproductive part. A jewelry mm -hmm. on a woman, except generating envy, <laughs> generates no income. Yes, right. So it's unproductive. <laughs> right. Therefore, there should be a tax. Same with sprawling, vacant plot of land. Mm. If you notice, I avoided the use of the word house property. Right. House property 
if let out, hmm. no matter how big it is, is not chargeable to wealth tax. That's the beauty. So to come back to wealth tax, that's the position. Gift tax has been totally abolished except gifts by non-relatives to non-relatives. Meaning, mm -hmm. if you were to give a gift to your girlfriend, mm -hmm. who is still not your wife, you have to pay, you don't have to pay, she has to pay income tax on that item. Oh. Assuming you were to give her a very expensive diamond ring, mm -hmm. costing a lakh of rupees to you, mm -hmm. and to her it's priceless, <laughs> she will have to pay income tax on that one lakh, uh -huh. because you have given a gift to a person who is not your, your relative. Right. Woman she marries, and you give her not one lakh worth of diamond ring, but ten lakhs worth of diamond ring, is totally accepted. The whole idea, Abhishek, is to prevent, uh, shall we say, artificial transfer of wealth. Okay. Nobody gives to a stranger ten lakhs of rupees. But you find one Mr. Chamanlal giving it to one Mr. Suresh Chandra, mm -hmm. 10 lakhs of rupees. Why? Out of natural love and affection. <laughs> so there can never be a natural love and affection between strangers. Between strangers. Non-relatives. Non-relatives. Yes. So the government in its wisdom has exempted mm -hmm. legitimate gifts between close relatives, oh. between father and mother to their children, children to their parents. Mm -hmm. Brothers, sisters, etc. So, right. But anything beyond this circle attracts tax by way of income tax on the recipient. So, so then, sir, if tomorrow I were to win, say, one crore in Pachvi Pass, Kya Pachvi Pass it is, so then, or maybe win a car in some contest. Right. So, is this a gift and is do I have to pay a gift tax or how does this work? Okay. This, in my view, is not exactly a gift, but it's a it's a winning from a lottery. So it is taxed at the flat rate of 30%. Ooh, okay. So assuming you win a Mercedes-Benz, costing say 30 lakhs of rupees, I hope. you have to pay 30% of 30 lakhs, namely 9 lakhs of rupees as income tax, mm. being the value of a prize money that you got. Money or money's worth. Right. Yeah. Now to come back to estate duty, it has been abolished as far back as 1985. Mm. There is a, a suggestion that you, we need to bring back the estate duty. Mm. Government in its wisdom is not bringing it. Okay. One of the reasons, Abhishek, in the last 10, 12 years that we are seeing prosperity among all of us, Abhishek included, uh, is one, this tax system has been made very simple. And all of us are feeling like working hard Hmm. Otherwise, you will be amazed to know there was a rate of tax as high as 97.75. Oh. Every 100 rupees that you earn hmm. took away 97.75%, oh. leaving with you 2.25 rupees. <laughs> the joke was that when a very wealthy father went out of on a beach with his daughter, 10-year-old kid, and the daughter said, Dad, can I have this ice cream of 30 rupees? Then the dad says, but uh, we can't afford it, it is 100 rupees ice cream. So how yes. this 100 rupees came? That every 3 rupees that I spend, behind that I would have earned 100 rupees, paid 97, left behind with 3 and these 3 goes for buying an ice cream. Okay. So this is the unjust part. Within, in stark 
contrast with today's uh, move of yeah, only thirty rupees. Yes, and also uh, the rationale again, like you said in your previous podcast, is that Mr. Chidambaram wants more and more people to come into the tax bracket, and hence he is reducing the slab rate. Very true. So he has now brought it so very rational, mm-hmm. and uh, he is defending it very well by saying that look. I still wish I can bring it down to 20%, which is the rate of tax you'll be amazed to know is obtaining in our neighboring countries. You mentioned something about Dubai and Middle East. Right. I'll tell you, even in Southeast Asia, countries like Indonesia, countries like Malaysia, have a tax rate not exceeding 20 rupees, 20%. Mm-hmm. Hong Kong levies tax only 20%. 80% is with you. And worldwide it is now conceded that the prosperity of a nation can be generated through lower tax. Mm-hmm. And you are, we are seeing with the fruits of this wonderful experiment that you and I are able to retain larger portion of our income than we were able to do it earlier. Yes. Yeah. There is one bone to pick uh, among all of those who are paying tax, apart from the tax itself, is that the subtle form that has to be filled is not so subtle. I mean, there is lots of information which is asked, like, do you own any cars? Uh, is there any other property than you own, etc., etc., etc. Can we make it much more simpler and user-friendly, like your tops? Oh, <laughs> thank you. My only point is that they are making serious attempt at simplifying, and that is how they thought of a form called subtle. <laughs> While I agree that that form is no longer subtle, but there is a serious desire to simplify the life of an ordinary citizen. Hmm. In fact, a time other day you must have read, today on the last day of the due date, there are queues and queues all over the metropolitan cities, so much so that even on a Saturday and a Sunday, they have to keep the offices open till 12 p.m., because the last date was, say, 30th June, mm-hmm. 30th, and that fell on a Sunday, so they kept the offices open till 12 o'clock in night to receive these returns. The right. simplification which they are talking is, even if you are staying, say, in Chembur, mm-hmm. today the law is you must file your tax return in Chembur. In Chembur there is huge queue. Now they say you can file a return of income in Nala Sopara. If the queue is nine hours of less, right. and by definition it will be less, <laughs> because there will be less number of taxpayers in Nalas and so on. Right. So they are thinking like this. But mm-hmm. I, I concede your point that there is tremendous need for making the life of a simple taxpayer simple. Yes. On that simple note, uh, that's about it from this episode of uh, Indicast, and that was Professor Kanuis Doshi. Thank you very much, sir, for your time and. Uh, all the jargon-free language. Thank you, Abhishek. I also enjoyed this, if you call it jargon-free. Thank you.